yes, we want to support local farms. We all want good food. We want stuff that isn't going to, you know, give us cancer someday. And hmm. and uh, the, the hard part is just changing the paradigm for the shoppers mm-hmm. because people are so used to just, well, where do you get your food from? Well, you go to the grocery store. How do we change that? We have to make it easy for them. And so the home delivery with the marketplace was really the answer to that. And I joke we're kind of like uh, Amazon for local food. Who doesn't love the convenience of Instacart? What if I could told you that there was something even better? Imagine the freshest, locally sourced farmer's market produce and products delivered directly to your door. This isn't just a story. It's a revolution about locally sourced food starting right here in the Ozarks. Welcome to the Duster Mud Podcast. Today on Duster Mud, we're diving deep into the world of local sustainable farming and direct-to-consumer sales with the visionaries behind the little farm store, Ryan and Renee. They're not just partners in business, but in a mission to redefine how we think of food, freedom, and farming. Stay tuned as we uncover the story of their journey the challenges they faced along the way, and the community that they're building one delivery at a time. So welcome, Ryan and Renee. We're really glad to have you. Happy to be here. Very much so. (laughs) Ryan and Renee are not just partners in a business, but really in revolutionizing the way we all think about food, freedom, and farming, which we know are the main tenets of our podcast. So that's where we want to go today. So hang on, here we go. We'd like to start with just a brief introduction of who you are, what you do, sort of a little bit of your background, just to give everybody a chance to get to know you. So um, if you don't mind, start with Brian. All right, well, I'm Ryan Goolsby. I moved here from Alaska about nine years ago now. Uh, Came down with a dream of um, farming and orcharding. Turns out you can't really grow fruit trees in Alaska. So I came right. to a place where you could bit off more than I could chew. Uh, my brother and I, we we started our farm uh, about a hundred trees, having no experience in orcharding, um, and it turned out it's a lot more than I thought. It's not just planting trees. No, no that's the easy part. <laughs> no, um, but yeah, we moved here with uh, with the purpose of getting kind of a, a local food motion going and eight years later we actually kind of got it off the ground Uh, that's a thumbnail sketch of that i suppose cool um i don't know who i am i'm not a not a farmer um i come from a background of uh, construction um logistics and that type of things what led you sort of to the the farm to consumer this business model like how from a construction background how do you get to farm to consumer well okay a lot of a lot of my motivations are uh philosophical big huge view type things and when i look at the world there's a lot of things wrong with it and trying to find answers and sources to improve it um, leads me down different paths and fresh food local food economy um, are all solutions to many of the issues which we have in our society um, so from a macro level, that's kind of my motivations. How to actually implement it has been uh, a journey of discovery. Yeah. Nice. Okay, Renee, let's, let's turn to you for just a second. <laughs> Background, where, how'd you get here? Um, to Missouri. Um, I've only been here since 2018. Similar kinds of things. I was doing some hobby, trying to do some hobby farming mm-hmm. on my land in Montana and 
the wind in north central Montana and the lack of water in north central Montana and crappy dirt and the <laughs> 90 farming days of, fun. Right. The 90 days I thought, wow, you know, I was watching all these Joel Salatin videos and all these people on YouTube who were doing things in, you know, Carolina and right. Virginia. And I thought, mm. okay. <laughs> it's not working for me the same here. <laughs> And so, and I had, I had started to do the, the fresh food and realizing that we really just needed to eat healthier and mm. be healthier and had gotten involved with kind of the underground of fresh local food in my area. And so came down here and everything was green and it was growing and I fell in love and mm. moved. Mm -hmm. Wow. And that's what I came down here to do was to purchase more land and do that and get involved in the scene and mm -hmm. um and found this mm. wonderful person. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so So recently you've you have changed your focus as far as occupation is concerned. Yeah, that that's actually happened a couple of times because I was a um I taught high school English for seventeen years in Montana. Oh, wow. And was, you know, raising kids and teaching. And I got my master's degree, like the whole nine yards, and um, just got really burnt out with that. So I decided when I moved to Missouri that I was done and I was going to do something different. And I'd always been a farm girl. My parents raised horses. Oh, and okay. um, so when I came here, I applied for all kinds of crazy jobs cabinetry making, construction management. I was like, you know, like, throw it at me. Let's, <laughs> sure. Anything. Let's see what'll float. Right. And uh, it was a solar company that picked me up. Kind of a weird story there because I just, I started installing solar panels on a roof. From high school English teacher to solar panel installer. Yeah, on a roof. On With a roof. guys half my age. <laughs> Attica. Yeah. That's one out. <laughs> That's one out. <laughs> I love it. And uh, just kind of worked my way up through the ranks there because I really, you know, was a grunt to start with. Yeah. and. Too many people in the office figured out that I was smart, and um, so then before you knew it, I was running all of the business negotiations and purchasing, and um, then on the job that I just currently left, I was director of operations for that company. Wow. Mm -hmm. So really running all the oh, show, yeah. Yeah. you know, um, and so I've got a lot of leadership, and, and having that business, moving from education into the business aspect was has really been beneficial. It was one of those things where like, oh, I don't know if I can do it, but look at what I can. Ta-da. <laughs> yeah, ta-da. Yeah, sure. <laughs> wow. That's great. <laughs> then with Ryan getting the, the farm store off the ground, I just, it was really in sync with what I came here to do. And it was just, it's just a beautiful vision. And I thought, yes, let's do this. Mm -hmm. And um, it got where I was trying to help him do stuff on the side and um, it's gotten big enough now where our needs for what needs to happen in order to really make the business flow is not part-time anymore. Yeah. Oh, wow. Sounds so. like you've got yourself a director of operations. And then some. And then some. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. Good. So Ryan, you're, you're really good at spreadsheets and websites and those types of things. I'm, I'm really good at picking up random skills on the side. Um, so, uh, yes, I, I've spent some decent amount of time on spreadsheets and this whole business is operating on them right now. Yeah. I was going to ask, how does, how does that lead to little farm store and, um, the, the business model and, and what you're trying to do there? Um, well, it's, it's the method, how the information, you know, disseminates, um, the, the whole challenge with collaborating with so many different vendors, um, is, 
there's so much data. There's so much data of how you know the food flows here and money flows there, and you know, just trying to consolidate it all without me needing to manually do it. Um, so it just takes many hours of staring at a screen, putting you know, spreadsheet formulas and connecting mm -hmm. it and um, whatnot. Um, ideally, it'll be a, a custom software, which I am working with a couple developers to get it rolling. Um, but in the meantime, the business still needs to go. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's really cool. We have it. Can we touch just a little bit on you? You, you mentioned working with different farmers and you mm -hmm. and all of this information going in and going oh, out. Good. What is what is your business model and what is your vision towards that? Well, the essence of the little farm store is it's an online farmer's market. Um, and it's a marketplace where anybody who is, in, which is a member, can list their products and get access to the logistics to get it to consumers. Um, so it's an online e-commerce platform where people can check out like any other store. And uh, it's from currently there's 45 different vendors uh, on there. Wow. Um, not all of them are active because it's uh, off season right now. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just a... It's a whole list of what everybody has for sale and people can add it to their cart. They can uh, check it out and we do once a week deliveries to people's homes or to different drop points. Once a week, all those orders get disseminated to all the different farmers and all that food comes together and we pack it and we deliver it. We've, we really do love working with you, but we're from a, you know, we're looking at it from the, the vendor perspective. You, you mentioned 45 vendors. How many, how many customers? Um, we just this morning passed 500 uh, signups. Nice. Wow. Um, now, not not all of them are active. Sure. So uh, there's probably a regular group of 40, which order every week. And then, I don't know, 20 or so more, which, which are every other week or once a month or in other ways. What's an example of some of your products that you that your vendors grow and carry? Well, I mean, you guys primarily do the pork. Um, we've got beef. We've got bakers. We've got... Um, we're actually getting, you know, a candle manufacturer coming up, um, soaps, lotions, coffee, coffee. Mm. Um, I don't know Produce. anything that you could find in a grocery store. turns out there's someone making it locally. That's yeah. really cool. And the getting socks, could... alpaca socks are coming yeah, up too. Alpaca oh, socks. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Alpaca socks. socks. Yeah. Yep. We had a lady contact us from up by St. Louis, no, Jeff mm. City. Mm -hmm. who wants to, she has alpacas and that's one of the things she does is she wants to send us socks. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Send the socks. Yep. How fun. <laughs> Seriously. Right? That's really cool. Okay. So, yeah, and just, you know, getting, there's so many people that make good stuff and we know that the best stuff is always, you know, made at home, made with good ingredients and it's just better for people. And I have kind of a passion for wellness and health and I know Ryan mm -hmm. does too, that, you know, so part of this is philosophically driven by the wellness and health aspect, too, is that, you know, yes, we want to support local farms. We all want good food. We want stuff that isn't going to, you know, give us cancer someday. And hmm. and uh, the, the hard part is just changing the paradigm for the shoppers mm -hmm. because people are so used to just, well, where do you get your food from? Well, you go to the grocery store. How do we change that? We have to make it easy for them. And so the home delivery with the marketplace was really the answer to that. It seems like now would be ripe mm -hmm. with the rise of DoorDash and Instacart and, mm -hmm. and all of the Uber Eats and like everyone is really getting used to, I just order something and it's delivered to the door. It, yeah. it 
feels like now's the time. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Do you do you think so or oh completely? Yeah. Completely. People are um, adopting online shopping like crazy. I mean, I know Amazon has been uh, instrumental in getting people used to that. Yeah. And I joke we're kind of like uh, Amazon for local food. So. Mm -hmm. And I like not to it. bring up the thing, but COVID did change a lot of things. Yeah. I started shopping on Instacart because of the we lived in a place where we couldn't get food any other way for a little while, and so we shopped on Instacart. Mm. And I got to tell you that I, I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> I kept shopping that way even after that, y'all. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you know? the, the two hour trip to the grocery store every yes. weekend. Oh um, my goodness! I could even I could even do it at Costco. Yeah. And when that, when I knew that, I was like, oh, and so we'd make Costco orders and I would just watch them shopping because Costco would be like 45 minute drive. And then you got to go in there and do all of this shopping and they don't give you a bag and boxing the stuff and getting at the house. And I'm sitting there watching my shopper. I'm just at the house doing my thing, watching my shopper shop. I am being so much more productive this way. Yeah. And then they bring 500 and something dollars worth of Costco things to the door and leave it like... I, I don't even have to, nothing, just tip yeah. them. Mm -hmm. And it was amazing. Yeah. yeah. Just bring it in. Just yeah. bring it in. When, and no, we farmers, don't do that here. Right. A little bit further, uh, uh, further out. Here. <laughs> it's not an option in Nowheresville, Missouri. <laughs> right. But even with the, you know, people who want fresh food, mm. um, you know, and I was, in, like I said, in Montana, I was involved with some local people there. Mm -hmm. But there was no way to aggregate that. And so you'd have to go here for this or here for that. Or if the you'd have to catch the farmer's market. and you know, Which is seasonal, like, generally. Which is seasonal. And it's, you know, from 8 to noon on Saturday morning when then all other kinds of things are going on. Sure. So, yeah. you know, this idea of let's make it so people can shop online, easy, from their house. It's delivered to them. Um, and it's shopping because the and the problem with like a csa is it's one farm you get what you get and that's just what it is it's a surprise every week you know sure we've done it right yeah. and so Which was this was great way, it was good food but it was a surprise yeah, yeah. so this way it gives the consumer um the buyer more control and more options and wow. so it makes it more like a grocery store mm -hmm. so if i remember correctly you came up to us at the farmer's market mm -hmm. and it was uh we came in for the very tail end of the farmer's market the first in year we 22. had a, a product to sell which mm -hmm. was in 22 mm -hmm. and um we were immediately sold talk to us about some experiences with um getting getting different farmers on board what are some of their hesitations what are some of the things that really drive them to to join with you well i haven't seen much by way of hesitation um most Good. people seem to be embracing this fairly thoroughly um the one thing which they may need to give up is some for some reason like farmers markets i mean i know that they like the interaction with the people uh -huh. um but farmers markets is a lot of work yeah. it takes at least a day and a half out of your week to, yeah. to go and do that thing and to uh, in an established way, once we get going enough, um, where we can be an alternative to that, where people don't need to do that, um, they still can if they'd like. But um, but yeah, it's it's been uh, highly encouraged by many farmers which I talk to. They're like, yes, let's get this going. Yeah, sign me up. And then it we we basically <clears throat> became 
partners with you, right? Mm -hmm. Like it, it feels like we're in this together, right? right? And to the point where even we hosted a farm tour where you brought customers out to the farm. Mm -hmm. And I, I know we, we had a great time. We love doing farm tours and 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 they all loved it too. Yeah. I was wondering if you would share like maybe your experience or any, any thoughts from the, the folks that came out? Um, well, it seems like the folks which are interested in real, fresh, healthy food, um, they want to know where it comes from. They want to see the operation. They want to know the farmers. They want to, to get involved as much as they can. They don't have space to grow their own. Um, so they want to get involved in that community. Um, and bringing them out to the farm on tours and whatnot is an excellent way. I mean, it's educational for them and it's helpful for us. It's, it spreads excitement um, and all those good things. Yeah, one, of, I, one of our things is if I'm going to grow your food, you should get to see where it comes from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so what you're doing is you're allowing those farmers, mm-hmm. even if it's on a one-off thing, one time a year or maybe two, to be able to bring their customers in Show everybody all at one time, mm-hmm. this is how your food's being grown. Mm-hmm. Right. And that is the transparency there is important. Is yeah. very important. Mm-hmm. Guaranteed you won't get that in a commercial operation. Uh, no, no, you're not allowed in there. No. No. No, you're, no, you're probably risk getting arrested. I uh, listened to um, the guy who's down in Arkansas sowing prosperity. Okay. And he had a, a doctor guy on who's also doing beef that way. Mm. And he was talking to something about that effect. He says, well... He says, if something goes wrong with my food, he goes, I can't go talk to the guy in China who shipped it over here. But if it's the guy down the road, we can go have a conversation Southern style. That's right. (laughs) Southern style. And I thought that was hilarious. We're we're fixing to talk about this, (laughs) y'all. I remember during the, during the tour, we, we ended up having to walk because Mm -hmm. we had more people than what we could what we can no, we don't have a drive around. Tram, yeah. You know? yeah. Um, yeah, we were leaving. We had just uh, talked, visited the pigs, mm-hmm. and uh, talked through what they were doing, helping us regenerate the land and reclaim some of our our forest to make pastures. Yeah, and rounded the corner and found a new calf. Yeah, mom during our tour. Yeah. yeah, so the the folks that were here visiting the farm got to see uh, a. Calf standing up for Brand the first new. time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah was it was exciting. still wet. Yeah. yeah it, it was crazy. A really neat experience, yeah. I think. Cue the calf being born. Right. right? <laughs> well, and, and was, a, part of it is is getting people that are in town out to the farm, mm-hmm. out to walk, out mm-hmm. in nature and do right. those things in addition to seeing where their food is growing, you know. Yeah. And people don't often understand farms are out, out of town. Out, out to They're, town. Wow. Y'all are really far out. Well, yes, yeah. because... To get a, a bit of acreage in order to be able to grow cows or sheep or or anything really, even if it's large market garden, mm-hmm. you've got to have some space, and mm-hmm. they don't that you can't do it in the suburbs. Yeah. No, yeah. or even in specifically prohibited town. in suburbs. It is. They really <laughs> frown upon it. Yeah, yeah. So, with the business model of bringing the farmers market to someone's doorstep, what are some like go over some challenges or some successes that you've found with that business model? Oh, I don't know. There's plenty of challenges. Um, there's plenty of successes too. Uh, it's, it's, I don't know. It's difficult right now because I'm in the thick of it. I'm inside that box of operating that. So it's, it's hard to get outside of that box. 
Um, freezer space is a challenge. Okay. I and mean, having uh, 45, and granted, they're not all frozen products, but there's there's a lot of freezers at our facility. And mm-hmm. keeping track of inventory is, you know, inventory. Inventory is a constant. Yeah, I know. Um, we have a freezer there and mm-hmm. with inventory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, keeping track of what's in stock from 45 different vendors. Um, and having the time delay between the order and the fulfillment. You know, sometimes there's like five days between when someone orders. I mean, up to, what, 10 days if someone orders like at the beginning of the window before they actually get a delivery. Um, in those 10 days, blister beetles could come through yeah, and wipe out the chart, which happened beetles. last year. <laughs> oh, um, wow. So it's it's a lot of flux, mm-hmm. um, a lot of um, figuring that out. Mm. And, and it would require some flexibility on the consumer's Mm -hmm. Right. So there's some education that has to go into that. You know, this is what it really looks like. Yeah. Yeah. And it's educational for them too. Showing what, what actually happens on farms. There are crop failures. Mm -hmm. Um, So yes, there are, whether Mm -hmm. it's blister beetles or Mm -hmm. coyotes. I mean, you know, what livestock things can happen. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, somebody will predict that, um, they have X number of years of corn coming available. So we put that on the store and then, oh, they didn't quite ripen in time, you know, so then. Now what? Mm -hmm. Right. So there's some of that, but building in as we get bigger, building in redundancies between producers will help help with that. Mm -hmm. Because then there'll be more sources for the chard and whether some gets destroyed or not, there will be others. So... Um, I don't know. I think every vendor coming in is a success. Uh, expanding the amount of uh, available product is a success. Every customer who signs up um, is a success because it shows it's validating the the concept that people want this. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. How long have you been doing this? Like, let's let's gauge the success. Five hundred customers. How June, long? June of twenty two. Mm-hmm. So when we officially started. We've been moving towards it before. <clears throat> before uh, we opened the grocery, uh, I operated a farm-to-table restaurant for a time, um, and was doing a similar thing, drawing in from farms and doing a farm-to-table experience. And that was challenging because restaurants are challenging, mm. and I'm done doing restaurants. Okay. I learned my lesson, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was still satisfying working with the farmers. Um, but yeah, it's been maybe a year and a half for we, what we've been doing. So we, we joined you. You were right one of the, the first. Yeah. Right yeah. at the beginning. Oh, I remember. I called you and you were like, I, well, I've only been doing this for like, this is my 16th week. Yeah. <laughs> you know, let's be yep. patient. Uh, we got, well, us too. Yeah, know, right. Same. <laughs> We've been doing yeah. this for about 20 minutes. So you be patient with us and we'll, we'll all get there. That first summer, we went to a couple of different farmers markets and just hit up people and this is what we're doing. You know, are you interested? And yeah, that was that was how we got some of our first people. Yeah, yeah, gaining traction. Are there any models around the country that you're following? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mostly what, what along location the coast. are they in? They're, they're mostly along the coasts. Okay, uh, where there's a high density of population, which is a much more ready market. Hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's mostly along the coasts, which are which are doing this type of thing. I mean, there are other uh, online services. Um, so I mean, there's the the mail. Have all the uh, produce shipped to you? Mm-hmm. I've not heard much positivity on those because of the shipping. Um, things get beat up. There's a lot of material waste in the packaging. Oh, there's so much. We ship 
uh, we do we will and do ship frozen meats mm-hmm. to customers around the country. Uh, it it is not easy. The logistics on shipping cold or frozen uh, food is hard. I assume mm-hmm. fresh would be even worse as, as difficult or or more. But and you're right. There's a lot of packaging materials. It it's just, very, and it's expensive. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. expensive, and it requires us to have cardboard containers and the insulative so material, material and the frozen gel packs and oh we forgot to freeze gel packs you know like right. it, it it's yeah. it is and then you worry and you, you is it going to get there okay is it going to get there okay is it too hot outside you sent it two day air how much did that cost and the two day air did they actually get it there in two days or was mm-hmm. it two and a half and we've or had we've was had it failures four? we've had failures yeah that's, it gets expensive for you yes yeah. it's very expensive and the the problem in the world today in 2024 is Amazon has spoiled everyone to free shipping mm-hmm. and free delivery. And it's not free. And it's not free. It's not free. And it's we really don't expensive. have the ability in the negotiating with UPS. We can get a <laughs> discount through different third-party sites, but we don't have the ability to negotiate super cheap shipping mm-hmm. on UPS. And so that, that makes it quite a challenge for all small farmers to get their products into the hands of the consumers who really want it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And supporting small farms is another big reason why, why we do this too. Um, you know, Ryan and, and his family started Pleasant Valley farm with that in mind that they wanted to be part of that and quickly realized that the restaurant and the farmer's markets and stuff was just a difficult way to get your products to the customers. Mm-hmm. And so trying to say, okay, well, what's what's a solution you know Mm -hmm. um how do we compete with the grocery stores how do we compete with all these other avenues and Mm -hmm. um get the good stuff to the people and support the farmers so that they can make a living Mm -hmm. without millions of dollars of investment right because you know if you if you want to compete commercially it's a go big or go home but it's Mm -hmm. go very big or go home very very right so now in less than two years you're about to make a shift in your business model, I think. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about about your shift. Um, well, we started um, as a LLC um, because you know that's the that's the normal thing to do. Mm-hmm. That's what's uh, advocated for. It's what it's commonplace. Right. And being ignorant of many options, I just kind of went with it because I wanted to do the thing rather than form the thing. Mm-hmm. If you know what I mean. I do. We did the exact same thing. <laughs> yeah. So going down that route um, and learning about the legal restrictions on it and the regulations on food and the inspections and the this and the that, it, it gets a lot. The larger you get, the more there is. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're shifting over to a private member association, um, which doesn't have a lot of the, the red tape over that. Um, and it makes it more of a direct relationship between the consumers and the farmers. Um, it's a it's a private organization which which connects them. So let's dive into that on a on a not not too deep, but let's explain and talk about what a private membership association is. What it, what are some examples of some? Because until we kind of got into this world, I didn't know what that was. Mm-mm. I I I'd never considered it. And now my, our eyes are wide open to it. And I would love to educate people watching and listening as to what 
in the United States of America, private yeah, membership association is. We're, we're forming one as well. We are. As mm-hmm. part of our business. Right. And whether they know it or not, there's organiz- there's private member associations, which everybody knows of. Okay. Um, NAACP is a private member association. The, uh, uh, the Bar Association is a private member association. So, I mean, everyone is aware of those, but they're not aware the, that they're private member associations. I think the scouts are. Mm-hmm. Are they? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. One of the most famous legal trials regarding private membership associations, or you'll also hear them referred to as PMAs, was during the civil rights movement when the NAACP was able to uh, hold private their membership roles, okay. although the government was... For trying to force them to hand over their roles, the courts held up that it was a private association and their mm-hmm. membership roles could be held private. private. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that there are some really important uh, cases, even legal cases, mm-hmm. yeah. that uh, for private membership associations, PMAs. Mm-hmm. So what, like what, what drove you to that here, and what, what do you, what benefits do you think you're going to see? Well, the uh, the the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak, was yogurt. Okay. Um, because yogurt is a product which is common. Everybody who makes dairy, uh, everyone loves yogurt. Right. Um, but it is actually a specifically prohibited product. You can't legally sell it to the public unless you go through all kinds of regulatory things. It's an adulterated milk product unless you meet all kinds of statutes and regulations. Um, so that was like the, that was the, the straw there, um, with a private member association, it becomes a private contract between the producer and the consumer and it takes out all of the oversight. Um, so, so it would no longer be a retail sales. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is now a, I am a private person, citizen selling to you a Mm -hmm. private citizen Mm -hmm. and nowhere in there is it offered outside to the general public. Correct. Nope. And in order to be able to purchase said product, let's just say yogurt, the person must be a member mm-hmm. and a consenting member as to what they're purchasing. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Because to be a member, it's basically a statement of I am taking responsibility for my own food choices. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and I'm not going to rely on public regulators and public statutes to keep me safe, which they do and they don't. Right. Considering like commercial, sword. yeah. Considering the state of the commercial food production, um, mm-hmm. it's it's kind of scary if you look behind that curtain. Mm-hmm. What they consider safe. Yeah, and ultimately, it opens up a lot more um, variety in products from mm-hmm. local producers that we can offer people who are really interested in local food and mm-hmm. doing that food system, and having that um, regional autonomy in the supply chain. And um, benefiting, you know, their health and wellness in that way too, um, because we also bumped up against some of the gray area that we're operating in with just transporting stuff. So if um, mm. somebody, because so cottage goods are legal, right? That's why people can sell at the farmers market. Right. Is because it's going from the maker to the consumer. We had an inspector point out to us that if we were holding any of those cottage goods at our facility so that we could put them in orders easier, that we may be labeled retail. Even though they're not even our Even though products. they're not ours because none of our stuff, we don't purchase it. It's all on consignment. Right. 
but they, you know, they pointed out that that may become a problem for us. So we knew at the rate that we were scaling and the amount of interest that we had that you needed to shift. We needed to shift in order to be able to continue to do business the way we wanted to do business and get more variety to people and support more farmers and people doing really great things in the Ozarks. Mm -hmm. So it putting on a, a different hat on myself, this seems, this seems weird. This seems strange. This is, how are you being able to circumvent or just ignore the the rules the and rules regulations and regulations like this, of this doesn't, country in the US this doesn't even make sense like how can you just say i'm a private citizen and i can do what i want like well you said it because i'm a private citizen i can do what i want um as in a private relation a private contract public statutes have no no bearing they 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 don't apply to private situations um being a member of the public you're subject to all kinds of regulations because you're a member of the public. But if you are transacting with the farmer as a private individual, um, they don't have any. And uh, so the, the, the contract then your membership agreement mm -hmm. form becomes a contract between a, a business or a supplier and a consumer, uh, taking each of them out of the public realm mm -hmm. and placing both of them legally into the, a, a private realm, mm -hmm. right. allowing for private transactions. Mm -hmm. yep. And case precedence even says you, your membership forms are inaccessible to... Yes. Well, the only document which is public is the membership application. All of the other documentation, all the records uh, within a private member association is um, not accessible to public regulators. It is a private thing. You do, however, have to pay taxes, right? Oh, yes. Like you, you're you're yes. still bound by tax yes. laws and such. Mm -hmm. You're not completely autonomous from the IRS no. and the United States no. money-making Some of the things that you see online mm -hmm. will try to lead you down that path okay. that you can become a completely autonomous. A lot of that in those... In those conversations, you'll hear, you'll see a lot of citizen and uh, uh, references to citizen, and I, I believe that a lot of those lead you down a, a path that is a little bit further right. than what is actually legal. Okay. Mm -hmm. right. Yeah, there's a there's a deep rabbit hole going down that direction, mm -hmm. and uh, a lot of controversy about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but where where you are not a deep rabbit hole, no. not actually a lot of controversy, just not necessarily well-known, yeah? Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. And, you know, um, we're still going to protect people's safety. That's always, I think that's one of the concerns that people might have is without regulators, right? How do we know it's safe? Well, you know, because we want good, healthy food. We want well, good, healthy food. And you, as a consumer, can come to the farm. You can come to the farm. You can see how it's done. <clears throat> um, you know, meat is still being butchered by a certified butcher in a in a clean shop. Um, you know, and so how that transparency is really what's going to create the the safety and take the place of the food regulators. And you know, without going too far down that rabbit hole, if somebody were to pull back the curtain, as Ryan alluded to, with food safety. Um, they would be shocked at how the reality of that situation, I think. Right. 
I think you're right. <laughs> yeah, for sure. How a commercial chicken is raised, for example, is disgusting. Right. How commercial pigs are raised is disgusting. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Commercial slaughter facilities, I'm sure they're sanitary ish, but they're still disgusting. You used yeah, to work right. at commercial dairies. Well, I did. As mm-hmm. environmental. I, I, from the environmental side. I designed and installed uh, waste treatment systems right. for mm-hmm. large scale dairies, like 1,200 cow dairies wow. where the cows spend their entire life on concrete. So mm-hmm. I'm fairly familiar with the large animal uh, operations and. That that experience led me to say, we will not have a dairy cow on this farm. As you know, we do. (laughs) So it is not black and white, though. It is not black and white, though. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I did put my foot down there. (laughs) Well, there's no reason to have a black and white cow. No, the milk is not the same. No, No, exactly. It is not. They may produce almost twice as much as other breeds, but but it is not the same thing. It's Mm -hmm. not the same. No, No, not it is not. But yeah, de- definitely familiar with how those operations work, and and mm-hmm. the animal welfare is is only a matter of what that allows for in production. Mm-hmm. There's really no concern about the animal itself. No. There's concern about production. So right. you take care of the animal as long as that leads to increased production. Right. Yeah. And my land that I had in Montana, my water was polluted because of monocropping and fertilizers and stuff like that. So I had a well that I was unable to really use for anything because Mm. the aquifer was so full of nitrates and stuff from runoff of these huge farms Wow! that um, I had, you know, and at that time I was really getting into some of the the regenerative trend was starting back in that day because that was several years ago, but um, starting to really think about that, you know, how mm-hmm. we care for the animals and how we care for the land impacts the quality of the food that we eat. Yeah. And we, as consumers, as buyers, we need to pay attention to where we're putting our dollars to send that message to the market itself in order to make that change really come about and so that our society in general can be healthier. Yeah. A lot of people might say, this is all great. This is, this is all fantastic, but it's really expensive food. Talk, talk about the, the, the pricing on the really expensive food and what you guys are offering, because that's a premium service as well. Mm-hmm. And how, if I said to you, but I'm on a budget, okay, and it is really expensive. And how can we talk about the, the, the financial part on the long term even? Mm-hmm. Well, I guess I would start by speaking to my own experience with that because, um, you know, and I sort when we first started this and I was buying food from little farm store, it was like, you gods, this is hard on the wallet. But over time, what I've noticed is I stopped buying stuff I don't need. Mm-hmm. So I don't go to Walmart and buy boxes of granola and boxes of this and boxes of that. And so in reality, my, my costs for my groceries every week has actually shrunk because I'm buying good food and I'm cooking at home mm-hmm. and I'm not getting a bunch of the snack stuff, but it's because I chose to put my money towards fresher whole foods, make that change more permanent in my, you know, just my habits. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's one of the ways that Walmart and some of these other places sucks you in is they always talk about shop around the edges, right? Right. Uh-huh. Well, you know, you go there and you're like, oh, well, what 
what's in this aisle? And right, what's right, in right. this aisle? Or your kid says, oh, well, that looks good. And so mm-hmm. you throw it in the cart. Whereas when you're when you're shopping this way, yeah, your pound of ground beef or your pork may cost more, but in reality, you look at the bottom line, your 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 amount at the checkout may be less. So it's really so it's a really intentional It's an intentional habit for sure. And it's you know, after raising my own hogs and doing some of that stuff, I was like, I will never go back to a grocery store for for pork and listening to some things about ground beef. I thought I'm mm. never going to buy grocery store ground beef again. Right. So, you know, it's, it's, it's an intentional choice mm-hmm. and, um, you, you might have to adjust, people might have to adjust their lifestyle a little bit to meet it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, your podcast about the big farmers versus the little farmers mm-hmm. really hit home on that. And we've done some education too, to talk to people about what it actually costs to do the farming and to raise local food. Mm-hmm. But I think overall, the more people that are doing that, maybe we can gain back some of that market share. Yeah. Yeah. Is what our hope, what we hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, and another aspect of it is the uh, price which you get for the pork in the grocery store. Um, that's a subsidized price. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of externalized cost in the raising of those pigs. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the cost is absorbed by the taxpayer. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. you are getting Yeah, charged. you're paying up front. You're, yeah, you're paying in a different but way. But it's just invisible. Mm-hmm. You don't see it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're all paying for it, mm-hmm. whether we want to eat that or not. And I don't. Yeah. But you're paying, for, still it paying anyway. for it anyway. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I guess another aspect is the health. I mean, with a cleaner, healthier product, you're saving on medications. You're saving on your general welfare, less trips to the hospital. Um, and so that's another savings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and it's just better. It just tastes <laughs> better. It just yeah. tastes better. Uh, can pork be porkier and bacon be baconier and <laughs> beef be beefier it can well pork yeah. can definitely be pastier oh well stuff what you get at the stores oh, yeah. not yeah. i mean it's not the it's same not the it's same. not real it's, no no yeah. after the first year i raised my own pigs at home and got those back Heart from the butcher back. whoa, whoa. <laughs> we had we had a, a a customer that buys from us all the time and we had run out of bacon and it was about, I don't know, three or four weeks after we ran out of bacon, we got a text. What is the water in the store-bought bacon? In the bacon? store-bought bacon. <laughs> like, what is all this white Like, what is this film? film? Yeah. White water stuff. Yeah. And we actually did a little bit of research and found that it's, well, it's injected. It's yeah. injected with In order to create weight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With a filler, you know. <laughs> so Our bacon's not injected. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> no. And it doesn't pop either. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah. Get off on the bacon. So going back to (laughs) going back to the PMA, what has been the reaction or response to you you sort of driving forty-five vendors and five hundred customers towards a different model, requiring them to become private thinking citizens? There's definitely been some education on there um, because I mean we weren't familiar with it. Uh Um, and there's a lot of questions on, you know, how this actually works. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone is supportive of the thought, but requiring more education, you know, actually learning a little bit more about the, the legal difference between public and private and, mm-hmm. uh, regulations versus, you know, self-imposed con- uh, quality controls, mm-hmm. um, and how the whole thing works. There's tax questions, all the, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Um, but by and large, everybody is all for it. Um, not needing to submit to inspections. Um, is very appealing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So, mm -hmm. I mean, all the vendors uh, are, are in favor of it. It's, right. Well, and when we talked, you know, about the inspections and some of the things that people think that they're looking for versus what they're actually looking for is different, you know, the size of your sink and the, the this and that and all the little things that go into the regulations mm -hmm. um, sometimes is like 50% actual, you know, health concerns and 50% just compliance, compliance with things. Mm. So, but yeah, education has been um, a major part of that and will continue to be. But good on you for doing that because the public needs to be educated about what our options are. Mm -hmm. And for so many years, we're, we're 50. And you don't know what a PMA is really. Why? We were taught knew, this in I knew our that government there were, classes. There, there were things like, how can how can that club sell alcohol after hours? How can or, that club discriminate on who gets to be a part of it? How can that club just sell alcohol in a dry county? Like there were there were things yeah. that would that would make make me go, how's that happening? What's going on? What's going on here? Yeah. And so it, it's like the, the there was always this little tickle back there of there is. And I'll I'll use a word that is that we focus on here on the podcast. There's a level of freedom mm -hmm. out there somewhere that I'm not experiencing. Mm -hmm. Why not? Mm -hmm. How do I get that freedom that those people are enjoying mm -hmm. by yeah. doing this thing that I can't do? Because mm -hmm. we love freedom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We love it when the reins are kind of yeah loosened yeah or loosed. So do you do you find that being a draw, the um, ability to exercise more freedom? Um, yes. Yeah. Just from vendors, or do, are you seeing it from consumers yet? Do do you know I yet? Both. Both. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, we haven't um, talked personally with as many of our buyer members as we have to the producers. Mm -hmm. um, y'all were kind of like our guinea pigs, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> Good. we like being guinea pigs, you know, uh, we thought, well, they received that pretty well. We could, this could mm -hmm. float. Let's yeah. do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. This is, you know, the PMA, to be honest, this is something that we've been looking at for, uh, I mean, we've been doing the farm now. We're going on three years. We've probably been looking at a PMA for going on two of those mm -hmm. three years. So it's been something that's been sort of back there in the back of our minds. This, I, I'm, I'm not, ex yeah, Could I'm not do? exactly sure what we right. gain or not. You know, so yeah. it's just been this sort of, we've, it, it's been hanging out it, back there. And as we all know, you guys pointed out the yogurt thing. It really, it, we started looking at it couple of years ago when we were venturing into the dairy side, mm -hmm. that's where everyone's looking at it for yeah. because, you know, I can go take a cow and go to my processor, have a USDA stamp inspected and sell it. That, that's easy. But if I want to sell raw milk, yes, it's legal in the state of Missouri. That's fine. But I can't do anything else to it. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can, all right, I can skim the cream, but if I shake the cream, and turn it into butter. And turn it into butter. Now it's adulterated and I'm not supposed to sell it. Mm -hmm. right. And that bothered us. It got us researching on the dairy side. Well, what can we, what can we and can we not do? Because we're running a business and we're rule followers. We're not going to step 
outside of what is we don't want our livelihood jeopardized right we don't want our farm jeopardized right. we he the, his military background is is we're going to we're gonna, we're going to follow the rules mm-hmm. and and so that being the case if we're following the rules but but what are all of the rules right are, there are so is there many. a realm out there to which if I take one step to the right or left, right. can I step into a new realm of freedom? And that's that's what Ryan found with the PMA. Cause I I mean I, I pushed back on him pretty hard at the initial part of this. It was like, oh no, man, this sounds like because I'm I'm kind of the rule follower. Right. Too, and I'm right. like, I don't want to do anything that's gonna get us in trouble. I don't want somebody mm-hmm. knocking on the door saying, Hey, you guys have messed up and we're the next Amos. Pennsylvania guy, mm, you know, yeah. Amos Miller. Yeah, yep, Amos Miller. Amos Miller. Amos and that Miller. was so we looked hard into making sure that if we set this up, we set it up correctly, mm-hmm. and we so that we don't have problems legally, right. with stuff. Yeah. But, yeah, we're after less problems, not more. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Always. So Shelley asked earlier if there was a model you were following for bringing the farmers market to the door, and you said yes. Is there a model that you're following? For a PMA, um, well, I mean yes and no. There are other organizations which do this, but it's primarily uh, individual farms. Yeah, um, I'm not aware of many which are like a marketplace mm-hmm. for farms. So you could be clearing you, a path. Yeah, could be. Um, but between running the business, developing the PMA, and operating the farm, um, I don't have a lot of time. You forgot <laughs> developing your own website. Oh, yeah, and, and some software development. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a few things which are keeping my attention. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess. So um, shifting gears a little bit, we we have primarily sold pork through the little farm store and um, are going to start offering lamb and beef as well. So a, a bit of an expansion for us. Can you talk a little bit about the any any new products that might be coming online? Um, well, uh, we have. I mean, this seems the most common one is bakers. Bakers, really? uh, there's many bakers. Yeah. Okay. Um, and a couple of French bakers. Mm, uh, we have yeah. croissants from Chef Roland right now, and there's another uh, French chef uh, out in Mountain Grove, which is going to be starting to sell. Um, there's I don't know. There's donuts. Sourdough donuts are amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of the benefits of this, by the way, is I get product samples. Is the PMA going to open that up? Um, well, it goes back to that gray area because cottage law, you can buy baked goods from even home bakers. Um, but can it go through a different facility? It's not, I'm not reselling it. You're a pass-through. Right, yeah, or logistics. But, but there's a gray area there where uh, regulators could translate it one way or the other. Right. Um, so it will affect it in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, it will make it more secure. Uh, I'll feel safer facilitating these transfers mm-hmm. um, without the, the, the possibility of just being shut down arbitrarily. Right. Yeah. And there, there are some things that they have stranger... I say stranger, more more regulations for than others. Mm-hmm. Um, Tighter. Yeah, mm-hmm. that um, 
that I think we'll be able to offer. Um, we have a number, we have some people that, you know, use our commercial kitchen at the little farm store, old restaurant building that makes stuff that, you know, mm -hmm. is good, like the fermented homestead. Oh, and yeah. in order for her to take that into Springfield was this whole like series of hoops mm -hmm. that expensive were hoops. very expensive. Mm -hmm. And really, she said she went to one of the first classes and talked about how it didn't even pertain to her business model. Mm. And um, okay. so it's again, it's that back to that that scaled for the big people and not paying attention to the other 80 percent of the people who are actually doing the things. So I think mm. we'll be able to actually offer a wider variety of things in terms of, you know, maybe some sauces and mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. things of that nature. And um perhaps even alleviate some of the fees of having to get a USDA stamp on meats because mm -hmm. you can go to a state butcher, yeah, mm -hmm. but you can't retail sell that meat, even though it's cut the same, it just is missing a sticker. Yeah. And so, you know, the right that, guy that'll, wasn't standing there whenever it was. Right. So, I mean, that'll help the farmers in the long run and you know, bring the price for, you know, bring stuff down, maybe price down potentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And, you know, herbal products are another thing, which, um, by and large don't have regulations, but do some. Um, so the herbal products will be able to be available. Pick a proudest moment and share that from the little farm store perspective. Well, the article which just came out in the rural Missouri magazine was awfully nice. Okay. Um, seeing, Talk about that. Seeing a article about our story, uh, spread statewide. Um, it's been nice and the phone has been ringing a lot. I was going to say, were you ready for it? Well, ready enough. <laughs> Logistically, I just thought I just I didn't realize that that little you know magazine put out by an electric company was something that so many people read. You know, and I kind of was like, oh yeah, that'd be great. And I thought, wow. Yeah. So yeah, that was that was cool to get that kind of exposure. Yeah. For sure, I think we looked back at this past winter as a big milestone. Um, because the first year, of course, we only had six months in it before winter hit the first time. Mm -hmm. And it was really, it was really skinny. And mm -hmm. it was like, wow, is it even really worth turning the car on? <laughs> you know? Um, and this winter, we stayed steady the yes, whole, you did. whole way through. Yeah. We and noticed that. That, that was really One of your cool. vendors that you guys, all the way through the winter, you, you kept every so often, you needed more. Yeah. You needed One of more. the interesting like, oh, things for cool. me, though, was that how having the having different vendors on board kept everyone um everyone's sales ongoing right mm -hmm. like we we had pork products last winter and it sort of died off like like what you described mm -hmm. this winter you had i believe some greenhouse growers yes and having those huge. on board meant that we were selling mm -hmm. pork you know like that 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 as more people come on on board how it it increases for everybody is yeah. was really cool to me because well, the buyers are looking for the same variety that they would get at the grocery store mm -hmm. so if we can provide that then we're more likely to keep them because mm -hmm. yeah, if they have to go to the grocery store anyways right yeah yeah, yeah. so having the variety is important for keeping everybody's mm -hmm. sales going mm-hmm yeah, sure. and we're that's one of our focuses also. Um, luckily, we're going into the summer. We're going into the spring and summer, but this next year is really pushing on the year-round production. Getting because um, I mean people eat year-round, mm -hmm. so we need year-round food production. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. The podcast, food freedom farming, it 
it feels like it fits right in line with the little farm store. Mm-hmm. Could you just give us a, a word or two about how you feel that it that they our our missions sort of align? People have the innate freedom to choose their own food. In the commercial system, they don't really have that freedom. It's you can mm-hmm. buy what's presented to you. So there's there's freedom in being able to take ownership of your own food choices. Um, and that's kind of central to all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm less of a rule keeper, I'll admit. Um, but it, it's something which I feel passionately. When, I, when my freedom is restricted, when I'm forced to do things arbitrarily with no really good reason for it, mm-hmm. um, I have a visceral reaction to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I get more into the food systems, um, more understanding of how the food systems work, or arguably don't, mm-hmm. um, I see more and more the restrictions on that. Mm-hmm. And that kind of makes me uncomfortable. I, I want freedom in what I can do. I want to choose my foods. Mm-hmm. And I want you know other farms to be able to have that same freedom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Any thoughts, Renee? Um, I think that mm-hmm. it's it's uh, about the buyer's choices as well as the farmers Mm -hmm. and the producer's choices too. Um, And recognizing that when you start getting deep into the health rabbit hole, that like you said, you don't have the the freedom to choose when you go to the grocery store and what's presented to you. And you have to have a degree in chemistry to read the the labels sometimes, you know, Mm -hmm. that um, knowing that when you turn over a can of jelly that comes from Sweetwater Gardens, that look, it's sugar and fruit. How novel. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I think that that fits in. And then um, the the regenerative and taking care of the land and creating quality of food through Mm -hmm. how it's grown Mm -hmm. is really um, substantial as part of my passions and stuff and and that'll bring freedom in the future too i mean having a healthful land um will bring it bring freedom to future generations Mm, that's cool i think people are just a little disconnected from that you know they forget very very disconnected how can folks find out more about the little farm store and and what you're doing go to our website uh, littlefarmstore.com we also have facebook and other social media presence but uh the website would be the best place. Anything that you would, we haven't talked about that you were, that you want to leave folks with or a a burning desire. Oh man, I wish we'd have. Um, Well, if you haven't tried um, really fresh food, uh, highly recommend it. I mean, there's a classic example of buying a commercial egg and buying a farm fresh egg and just looking at what they look like and tasting what they taste like. Mm -hmm. That's totally valid. Um, same thing goes for any other fresh food type. Um, there's just no comparison. Hmm. Well, it's not a good comparison. Yeah. It's a very obvious comparison. <laughs> yeah. And we hope that we get uh, a lot of participation from people in coming out to farms and seeing mm-hmm. where their food's growing and, you know, shake the hand that grows your food. And mm-hmm. Yeah, we have some big plans for uh, farm tours this year. Cool. I hope we're on it again. Oh, for sure. Yes. Okay, good. good. So as we've discovered today, the journey to bringing food to your doorstep is full of passion and innovation. And we thank Renee and Ryan for joining us today. 
Yeah, absolutely. Your, your, the mission that is your life right now really aligns so closely with, with what is the mission of our life and the idea of food freedom and farming coming together so perfectly in two different really businesses is, is very interesting to me. So thank you very much for joining today on the Duster Mud Podcast. Well, thank you. We it's actually couldn't do it without you. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, until next time. Bye, y'all. Bye, y'all. See ya. Bye. <laughs>